and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Okay. Okay. I have a new microphone set up over here and... I'm kind of scared of it because it doesn't fit my microphone um, overhead stand thing. So right now it's currently like roped (laughs) into a lamp I have and it could honestly fall at any second. (laughs) So friends, if you hear like a smash or a boom, boom. (laughs) if you hear a boom, that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we need to explain to the people what we're doing here today and then they'll appreciate um, they'll appreciate the pun. Okay, okay. So here we go. I'm going to explain it to you all. What we're doing today is not a show history by any means. No, it's not a show (laughs) history. Ooh, it's not a show history episode. (laughs) I have been calling it our Tick, Tick, Boom, Love, Gush episode, which is essentially what this episode is. Uh, (laughs) We took our in-between seasons break when Tick, Tick, Boom was released on Netflix. And then we opened season three with the life and legacy of Jonathan Larson, where we kept our section on Tick, Tick, Boom, the film, super short because, well, we knew we'd come back with an episode like this someday because you can't keep us away from this topic. Apparently you not. Really this topic's <laughs> going to take out a restraining order at some point. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so last weekend, we celebrated the Oscars and Andrew Garfield was nominated for actor in a leading role for his portrayal Ooh. of Jonathan Larson in Tick, Tick, Boom. The film itself was nominated for best editing. We even created a fun boozy drink to pair with your watch party. So even though the Oscars are over, you can go to our page and find a little step-by-step guide to enjoy um, a boozy chocolate milkshake and french fries. Mm. Yeah, apparently that is, well, not the booze part. I don't know about that, but the chocolate milkshake with fries was apparently one of Jonathan Larson's favorite things. So, uh, yeah. Well, you can't go wrong with ice cream and French fries. Never. Ever. You can never go wrong with that. <laughs> it's the best. Okay, so I, I really don't know where to begin with any of this because I obviously love this film and it fulfilled a lot of what I hope to see in a film about Jonathan Larson. Uh, And you know what? I mentioned this long ago on the podcast back when the film was in production, but what I was most looking forward to seeing in the film was, like, the elements that were so completely Jonathan Larson. Like, the pieces that people like myself and you who went into the film uh, knowing a lot about him prehand would instantly recognize over like someone who maybe doesn't know anything about him or someone who only knows him as the creator of Rent. And I think that was the most important thing to me. And truly, like they got it spot on. Like his apartment is freaking insane. They recreated that so perfectly. And, you know, it's just... This is an odd thing to say, I guess, but like Jonathan would love to doodle and draw quite a bit. And I immediately noticed the markers on his desk under the bookshelf in one of the scenes. And apparently those are Jonathan's real like, well, actual markers that the estate lent the set designers to use. 
So it's like there's little things like that that definitely did not go unnoticed. And they really gave us every detail imaginable. Uh, All of this being said, I guess we're going to start with set design. Yeah, they went above and beyond um, Mm -hmm. with accuracy in the film um, and authenticity. So Mm. the set designer for Tick, Tick, Boom is Lydia Marks, along with the production designer, Alex DiGarlando. A really big part of the film takes place within the recreated and reconstructed Moondance Diner. And Mm. that said, I think we've talked about it a lot, about how it's one of our favorites in the film. It's it's so, you know, I always get a real life diner feel from it. You know, it's authentic and gritty, but also very camp and kitschy. Mm. And I don't know. I really just I love the feeling of it. You know what it actually it made me reminisce (laughs) this is so silly but it made me like reminisce about our days going to france together oh you know like it had that cozy it really felt like a real diner and they they obviously took a lot of elements from the real moon dance Mm. to make it look similar um while also keeping it super fresh and making it their own so it just had that like modernized feel at the same time as like keeping it to that like time capsule of the Moondance Diner when it was in New York City. But yeah, we we love a good diner. We here love a good curtain. diner, especially Franz. So all of you Canadians, all of you Toronto what are they called? Torontonians. 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 <laughs> what are they called? Um <laughs> all of the Torontonians, you know what we're talking about. Go get yourself Brands, a milkshake. Please sponsor us. <laughs> please. Oh, my please. God. That's, we <laughs> need that. <laughs> but you know what? Anyways, the moon dance set really was spectacular. And, uh, you know, actually, every moment inside the moon dance felt really special because some of the most recognized footage of Jonathan is from, like, inside the diner while he's working. Uh, and this is, like something that they even show at the end of the film so you have that beautiful Mm. comparison where it's like oh my god andrew garfield really does look like him everything's so spot on so spot Mm -hmm. on and we're gonna talk about how andrew garfield is john larson in a little bit but yeah it's kind of like if you were glancing at like footage from the Mm. movie Aside from the fact it's not obviously grainy and from the 90s. Right. Like, you know, just at a glance, you would you might mistake it for the original. Yeah. Um, Even in even in the angles of the filming. Right. So smart. Yeah. They had so many Easter egg moments that were just great because like, you know, even in that seat in that street scene towards the beginning of the film where you see like all of the storefronts. Mm. There's mm-hmm. actually one named after the Cat Scratch Club, which Aww. is, you know, of course, taken from Rent. And then there's another great Easter egg with the writing on the side of John's uh, apartment on the rooftop. Uh, you see behind him, it says 525,000. <laughs> I just I loved moments like that. And, you know, uh, bringing it back to set design there are a few pieces in the apartment that are John's actual furniture. Like, I think it was Matt O'Grady. When we had Matt on, he told us about Anne, who was one of John's roommates. She was a painter, an artist, and she Mm -hmm. lent some of the uh, artwork that she had hanging in their apartment back in the day 
to the set design team. So that went on the walls in the uh, in the on set apartment, which is like oh, it's so special because it brings a part of like the real John into the film. Mm-hmm. And then there was the beautifully recreated green director's chair, which I believe the estate said they could use it. And the set design folks opted not to because they were scared, you know, like, what if something happens to it? And and that makes so much sense. And they were able to recreate it perfectly. But the real chair is at Adelphi University. And here's a fun fact, because we, we love fun facts around here. <laughs> uh, the Mimi's on Broadway, the actresses who played the role, they had the, the green chair in their dressing room for the whole 12 years that the show ran on Broadway. So that's a special little Mm. element in there. (laughs) You know, when it comes to the film, it had such a wonderful ambiance, and I was obsessed with it. I think it's so genius how many elements work together in it, and not just in, like, stage elements versus screen elements, the way you kind of think when you think of movie musical. Um, But I loved kind of the different film elements Mm. that they used as well. Um, you know, one of my absolute favorite things before I get into, um, just the editing piece is I loved the lighting and how the lighting was done for the movie. There's a huge difference between the lighting and mm-hmm. color palettes for John's like real person life and his dream life and his performer life. And it's just so clever. And it made me think of our conversation again with Matt O'Grady, who talked just kind of of how Jonathan Larson romanticized his life, how he kind of saw it through his lens. And I thought that the lighting changes are such a subtle way um, to show the audience that. I also loved the home movie and docu-style shots that were spliced together through Um, the scenes. So when John's narrating, so instead of just having Andrew Garfield, you know, talking and being Andrew Garfield, um, which we'd watch, it doesn't matter what he's saying, we would still watch it. But they, they use that space so economically in the sense that they used it for flashbacks for those home movie moments. And even in songs, instead of like, here's a full song of these people just standing on stage singing, they were like, what if we split it up with a scene? And it was so well done, so nuanced, mm-hmm. and so very musical theater, which I very much appreciated. Yeah, no, for sure. That's something that really got me. You know, at the beginning, they have the first few moments of the video camera footage. And, you know, like so much of John's life and projects were documented by his best friend Victoria Leacock and you'll notice there's actually a character based on her in the film she she walks around with her video camera she is the character who says um not today in boho days with the bathroom scene uh and I just thought like that was a great way to incorporate once again those very familiar scenes that we've seen of Jonathan performing boho days and um working at the diner mm-hmm. and they actually were able to recreate that and put that in the film so it was very very familiar very cozy and like you said the color palette the filter they used for the camera very much felt similar to the 2005 rent film mm. and it was another thing that was like oh this is familiar this is cozy i loved it it was great <laughs> 
Okay, this is like the part we've been waiting for. So uh, let's jump right into casting because holy crap, this cast was... Oh my god, I have no words. I don't even know where to start with this. I know we should start with Andrew Garfield, but I have to start with <laughs> Alexandra Ship, who plays Susan, because I thought she was the standout for me of this film. I I mean, she sold me on every single scene she was in. Like, how could you even take your eyes off of her? Her acting was flawless, her voice equally as incredible. I loved the element of like Susan being the narrator telling John's story. There's so much in there that took my breath away from her performance. And that was just on great casting. That was incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find her so enjoyable to watch on screen. Um, yeah. And I thought it was amazing what she did, considering you look at kind of the roots of the show, right? Mm. You know? Even in the three-hander, it was really kind of the John show and two people who were his backup singers, right, but also these right. people in his life. So I loved, uh, this might be script, this might be um, Alex's choices as well. I'm not sure, obviously, I didn't work on the film, but the way that they built her into such a well-rounded character to make it kind of a true three-hander mm. uh, was absolutely brilliant. And I thought it was so lovely what she did with... Um, her on screen time, which again isn't a whole heck of a lot compared to someone like John, but every scene she's in, like, right. is so tight and just clean and really well acted. You know, it's kind of it's interesting because it's similar to how we see, you know, one of my favorite films, Five Hundred Days of Summer. Everything is kind of told through Tom's point of view. And there's a lot of that in Tick, Tick, Boom through mm. the lens of Jonathan. But since Susan is the narrator, we get to see that side as well. So it's kind of like she is telling his story as well. And I think that's a great thing because you don't take sides in that sense. Like it could so easily be told from John's point of view where you would typically side with him. Similar to like Tom in 500 Days of Summer because it's told in his perspective. That is something we owe to Alexandra Ship for being so, just so human and so real and so likable. Mm-hmm. I was like always on, I was always on Susan's side throughout and I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I thought she was brilliant. Okay, so, hmm. See, I'm so torn with being, like, satisfied with having this movie because I don't think anyone else in the world could portray Jonathan Larson as perfectly as Andrew did, and it leaves me wanting a separate film based on John's last five years of writing Rent. Mm. I, I mean, that's a conversation for another time. This is not the time for us to get into that because I will be here all night with you. <laughs> but You'll let's be here all just, night by yourself, girl. Uh, I'm going by to By myself. <laughs> it's true. But let's just like gush about Andrew's talent and his hairline for a hot second because that was accurate. <laughs> I will always talk about his hairline in this movie. That was crazy accurate. I want to know what they did there. <laughs> Shout out to hair and makeup. Shout out to hair and makeup. No, really? Like, if you saw the behind the scenes of them doing his hair, they're brilliant. 
they're incredible. <laughs> you know, there is so much I could say about Andrew Garfield's performance. You know, he truly embodied Jonathan Larson in a way I don't think anyone else could have. You know, I know when the casting was first announced, I was kind of like, really? You know, I knew he would be good. I knew he'd done some stage stuff, but I wasn't sure if he'd done like musical theater specifically. Um, I didn't expect him to be as brilliant as he was. And I'm more than happy to eat my words on that because I was blown away. I think when the trailer first came out, within seconds of the trailer, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so good. He just transformed vocally, physically, emotionally. It's masterful what he does, and it's a master class in acting. He's just a truly wonderful, talented artist, and I think we're all really blessed that A, we got to witness him in this, and B, it's preserved on film. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this might be like script versus acting choices, but he's so brilliant in the way that he kind of captures the intensity of John Larson, uh, the vulnerability and the huge confidence and certainty. Um, you know, and like I said, when we spoke with Matt, the way that John Larson saw his, saw his life, the romanticization of it, there's just, there's this kind of like spark or twinkle in Andrew Garfield's eyes in certain scenes when he's like dreaming or like, you can tell when he's in that different writer's world. I don't know how to explain it. If you watch the movie, no, you, though, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's so transportative, and I'm like, you get it. He just, he really understood um, Jonathan Larson, the human, Jonathan Larson, the legacy, and John Larson, the character, and just kind of merged them all together very, very well. Yeah. He gets it. Yeah, he does, 100%. And like, I'll be honest in saying I never paid much attention to his previous works besides Angels in America. So I didn't really have like any sort of pre-opinion of him in terms of like whether he would be able to pull off playing Jonathan. And I'm really glad for that because I fully went into the film seeing Jonathan Larson rather than like an actor playing him if that makes sense Mm, yeah I just I really don't think anyone else could have portrayed John so accurately and you know there's this one moment in in the superbia uh rehearsal room where Andrew is sitting down with such a specific leg position and it just doesn't look comfortable at all and yet that's the moment in the film where I'm like yes that is so Jonathan Larson this shot right here, that is him. I am watching Jonathan Larson in this moment. And, you know, like being someone born in 97, so like I just skipped my timeline with Jonathan Larson's timeline of him being on this earth. It felt like getting to see new footage of him mm. for like the first time in 26 years. So I'm really grateful (laughs) to Andrew for that. Incredible work. And I think if we're talking about incredible work here, we really need Mm. to talk about Robin DeJesus as Michael. Yes. He is so phenomenal. And on my last rewatch of the film, I was like, I think I'd watched it enough times that I was kind of like, okay, like I'm Andrew isn't distracting me anymore. Um, So I could kind of like focus on other little things. And oh my gosh, the work that Robin has done with this character, again, we're talking about making it like a true three-hander, even though he's not on scene a whole heck of a lot, on, sorry, on camera, 
a whole heck of a lot. He is such a standout in this film. He's phenomenal. You know, he's such a wonderful performer. I think there's, he's done so much brilliant stuff. You know, I wish he'd been nominated for something too. Um, I always kind of compare like um, Andrew Garfield to Ariana DeBose in West Side Story. Like what he is to Tick, Tick, Boom is what she is to West Side Story. But I think I, think right. I might be wrong about that because I think they're very different. But I would say Robin DeJesus is to Tick, Tick, Boom what Ariana DeBose is to West Side Story. And yes. I stand by that. I stand by it. You know, Michael's character now with how it's written, he carries such a large part of the show and the story Mm. and the scene before going into real life that's kind of like the whole turning point for the last kind of third of the movie it all rests on that moment where he reveals his diagnosis um and it's such a powerful powerful scene and of course andrew garfield is an amazing actor it would have been brilliant but what Robin DeJesus brings to it what he gives Mm. of himself in those scenes allows everybody else to be equally brilliant and it just raises the entire bar and it makes that sequence like from the scene the real life the why like it just elevates it the stakes are so high and then at Mm. the end where they get that little reconciliation it's just it's so powerful and I could talk. Which we also have like that really great moment in there where Jonathan brings up friends indeed for the first time to Michael. Yeah. And and that is such a beautiful tie-in. And it ties in again, like, so it's not just a major part in the film, it's a major part of Larson's life and legacy yes. as well. And mm. you know, as much as we're like, oh, Andrew Garfield did a great job. His job wouldn't have been as well done if Robin DeJesus hadn't given literally every piece of his soul Mm. into that piece. And just props to him. I think he's brilliant. I'm going to stop talking now because you get it. You get it. (laughs) And I am going to pick up right there and say, obviously, before the Oscars, I was like, I can't believe he didn't get a nomination. And that's that's in general for all of the awards in this season. However, when they showed the Andrew Garfield, um, what do you call that? Like the little clip, the for your consideration, card, the little clip, that little clip when they are announcing the nominees, they literally showed the longest clip of Robin DeJesus yeah. singing. And I was like, yes. And this is why he deserved a nomination as well. Everyone here can definitely see that now. And I just, I thought it was a great moment that they kind of like shared that spotlight type Mm -hmm. of thing. I was, I don't think anyone was really expecting them to play uh, uh, real life as Andrew's um, for your consideration thingy. Yeah, me neither. I didn't. And it was like perfect because the two of them really worked together so beautifully. And like you said, without Robin's Michael, there probably wouldn't be Andrew's Jonathan. Yeah, it's like, yeah, 100%. I really think, you know, that friendship is kind of such, like, it's a big Mm. heart of the story and it's a constant in the story. It's like, 
He's not sure what's going on with his yeah. career. He's not quite sure what's going on with his relationship, but he knows who his best friend is. Mm. And that kind of grounds the entire piece to, for me. I also really loved, we get those great moments between Michael and Susan as well. I just think Michael is like such a big, he is like the heart of the, the movie for me. He's kind of holding a lot of people together as well. And maybe like it's not appreciated as much. And I think we finally see that at the end when John's like, oh my God, you've been trying to tell me this and I haven't been listening to you. And I just, he is the heart of this film for me. Mm. Yeah, he's really good. Really loved him. And before we move on from performances, this is also just a shout out to hair and makeup. Bradley Whitford as Stephen Sondheim <laughs> was just, it blew me away. Yes. And I was, it was so unexpected to me, but it was just the, what they did in making him look like him, what he did with the voice and his physicality, mm. like the way he sits and listens and like the head tilt with like the two fingers under his chin. Oh, yeah. Is, it was just so Sondheim. And Mm. so deliciously fun i kind of want like a sondheim biopic now with him in it because it was just i was like yeah. this has absolutely this has <gasps> so little to do with tick tick boom like the movie like right. it's obviously it's a side plot but it's not like a huge side plot but i was like this is so good i was like i want more of it yeah like him just sitting there and listening could have been the whole movie for me and i, I would have been like okay <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised there's not a bio movie in the works yet. Maybe there is. Maybe, Maybe since now. his passing, people are thinking about it. And I think that would be, Bradley would be the perfect choice, obviously. Yeah, like, he's already cast. Like, He's do it. cast. He's done it. It's great. <laughs> Anyways, so we're going to get into some specific scenes and moments. And we'll try not to tell mm. you about literally every scene in the entire movie. Which is really hard. Okay, I'm gonna just hop into this and get a bit controversial, cause like, <laughs> why not? Um, no, but these are just my nitpicking uh, opinions, as per usual. So, like, as a whole, <laughs> the film does an excellent job with the flow. Um, and if we're only gonna have just one film about Jonathan Larson, there are elements and moments that I would have enjoyed seeing in this like as a whole it still felt very much like um Lin-Manuel Miranda telling Jonathan Larson's story and like I don't say that in a bad way it worked very well and I think if the story was pushed like further it would have been confusing for viewers and Lin just really knows how to connect to um Kind of like this current age of Broadway fans, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. And I think that really shone through. But also he, he connects with the older fans as well. So he did keep that like rent head babies element too, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's because, you know, Lin-Manuel, he is very much a theater he kid. He is. And, yeah. you know, I think he was a great choice for direction just because he kind of understands what we want in a movie musical, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, it does. Yeah. 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 I just think, like, I would have had more people from Jonathan's core group of humans rather than Lin-Manuel's for just, like, little things like Vanessa, his wife, on the phone in one of the scenes. Like, 
that could have been someone like Victoria Leacock's voice instead if she wanted to participate. You know, like the film itself isn't as accurate as it could be. And that's a bit frustrating based on like the intro saying everything is true except for the parts Jonathan made up. And while, yes, that is very accurate in terms of like boho days and tick tick boom. It still just really felt to me like a story about Jonathan as told from Lin-Manuel Miranda's point of view, like from the theater kids fever dream point of view, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely get that. From and it's the not film, a bad but thing for at me, all. At all. For me, it kind of stems from the point of like tick, tick, boom, as much as like when John first did Boho Days, it was kind of like his his mm-hmm. monologue in his world in his words. The way it kind of developed and the way the film is now, it's kind of like, you know, it's not the Jonathan Larson biopic. So I was kind of okay with like the inaccuracies because right. like it's not his it like it's not supposed to be an accurate description of his life at the time. It's like it's a time capsule right. of what he was experiencing and feeling. Um so I kind of like let yeah. emotion and kind of like lead the way on that I'm not super pressed but I do think you know I'm gonna talk about the diner scene in a minute but like for Sunday I think it would have been great to have like musical theater performers who you know John would have idolized like in like having Bernadette Peters there like to have it more like that instead of more modern stars And also, like you said, you know, at the very end of the film, there was ample opportunity to have it be, you know, Jonathan Larson's loved ones and real people. Yeah, like, I just would have liked more people from, like, Jonathan's life because, you know, Rent ran on Broadway for 12 years. There's Mm -hmm. more than enough cast members from that, you know. Um, But in general, like, I just would have liked a bit more grittiness, maybe more accuracy with the superbia section of the film, um, a mention or two about him wanting to get 1984 produced and then it didn't happen. Uh, but like I said, that's just me nitpicking through an incredible film. And I know it would have lost so much of the great storyline flow had they gone down a fully accurate road because, as we know, way too much happened with Superbia in general. So, but yeah, it, it felt like the theater kid fever dream. Um, and we know Lynn is like the ultimate theater kid. So it does make sense. But I don't know. You know me. I would like to see all of the people that John was super close with in this because over the years, they just give they've given so much of their lives to um, educating people like us about him. So I would have liked to see a lot more of them involved. Anyways, though, in terms of scenes. In terms of scenes, I think you're quickly going to realize my favorite dynamic in this film, if you haven't already guessed. But a standout scene for me was Susan and Jonathan's fight during therapy. I mean, like that whole scene as a whole mixed with therapy, but like that argument specifically holds so much emotion. And I thought it was really interesting how like... She is really done in that moment. She's walking away. It is a breakup for her. But he doesn't see it that way fully because he mentions that she's his girlfriend in like a scene over as well as calls her roommate to like tell the roommate to invite Susan to his workshop. And then as a double header, 
We get that gorgeous, heartbreaking scene between them at the end where they've both like accepted the end of their relationship and yet they have such a strong respect for each other's art. And then, of course, we're brought back to the beginning of the film when they're in the bookshop and he wants the staff paper book, which she presents to him in that scene as a birthday gift and tells him it's for the next one. Ugh! And then we're brought back to Susan, the narrator, saying, like, the next one was Tick, Tick, Boom, and then, or Rent, or whatever, and... <sighs> I just love it. I love it so much. It's kind of like, um... It's sort of like Eliza and Hamilton with the whole she tells our story vibe. And, you know, like we have that with the gorgeous dialogue leading into like he had so many questions. And then we get the song mm-hmm. with a bunch of whys and questions to finish it off. Brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. Just, it direction. was really brilliant. Brilliant um, screenwriting. You know, we're we mentioned it earlier, so I'm just going to elaborate mm. <laughs> a little bit, but. Sunday, I think, is one of my favorite scenes in the film. Um, you know, Jonathan Larson was a theater kid, you know, just like all of us. And kind of like the more I learn about him, the more I'm like, yeah, he was a theater kid. One of us. Um, but so the way that the scene was staged mm. and presented, you know, it was campy. It was full of Easter eggs. It was that goofy, stagey fun. I think you might. I think you would have liked it. I love the moment um, because earlier in the film, they're watching the PBS filmed version of Sunday in the Park with George. Um, I love that. And then when we get to Sunday, when he takes Bernadette Peters hand and like leads her out to like place her on um, the stage. I just I thought that was such a wonderful kind of tie in and moment. I just I. I really liked it. And yeah, I think it would have been cool to use more people like Bernadette, who, you know, John would have been seeing on stage and idolizing and dreaming about working with. Um, but honestly, I, I, I really loved it the way it was. So I honest, I could have done without the Sunday scene. And that's so shitty of me to even admit and controversial. And I love it as much as I could have done without it, if that makes sense. It's just like, I don't know, I loved the diner scene before the song. I thought that was like, that is a highlight to me. I love the chaos and that. Um, I think it's brilliant. I get why it's there. I do. I understand the meaning behind it. And yet for me, like, I broke into tears seeing Adam, Daphne, and Wilson for like that split second shot. Mm, I think it just, like I said, I think it would have been really interesting to see all of the performers who played characters Jonathan created. I mean, because of Jonathan, so many of these performers are now like household names. You have Adina Menzel, Tay Diggs. You have so many performers who really had their start because they were in Rent or in a production of his. So I think that could have been really cool and neat. and. To have even had people from the shows that we know Jonathan truly loved. So like Hare and Sweeney Todd. That could have been cool to have like former cast members from that. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't my favorite, but I get why it's there. However, I did love seeing Jim Nicola and Roger Bart in the diner scene because that was so like 
full circle, you know? It was perfect. Really well done. Mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But n- I think my favorite scene, mm. which I discovered on a recent rewatch, I was finally able to pick a favorite scene, Ooh. was swimming. Yes. You know, I didn't expect because that was something that was added, you know, for mm. the movie. But it, it honestly is one of my favorites in the sense of like both the song, the set, and the visual effects in it. The editing, yeah. It's so incredible when he's swimming and he's swimming and he's like, oh my God, she looks like Susan, but I'm trying to focus, but I have to sing. And, you know, it's such, oh. I could talk about the song itself, but the visual when he's swimming and he sees the bottom of the pool and he like moves his hand and all of a sudden come to your senses magically appears on the floor. He sees it and he's like, oh my God, that's my song. That's the song. And then you kind of hear the two songs overlap. Mm. Oh, it's just, it's really, really masterful. Absolutely brilliant moment. I don't know whose idea it was to put it in there. And whose idea it was to do it like that, but aces. It was aces. I, I'm sure it was Lynn. I think I saw an interview where he mentioned finding it at uh Library of Congress and he was like, Oh yes, this is different. Let's put this in. Which was like, wow, yes, good idea. Um I also, you know, it's a bittersweet moment with the can I make it to 40, knowing mm-hmm. he doesn't make it to 40. Um And we see that visual of him doing the laps and the numbers are going by. And wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a beautiful scene. Mm. And that was John's. That was the pool that they would go to that the real life Jonathan would go to. Yeah. And Matt O'Grady was talking about like, again, how accurate that was and how he liked that that was added in too. I don't know if he said, did he say that was his favorite scene? I can't I remember. Rem- I think he loved Sunday as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he liked, I think he mentioned swimming specifically. And I was like, I'm so glad you brought that up. I've been dying to talk about it. Um, yeah. You can find that all in our episode with him, which is like mm-hmm. one of my favorite things that we've ever done. So you should listen to Me it too. anyway. Um, <laughs> Gosh, what's my favorite scene? Hmm. You know what? Upon my first viewing of the movie... <laughs> It was definitely Johnny Can't Decide. That one made me cry. That was the first time I cried mm. during the film. It like got me really hard. I just felt like my chest just like welling up with like this heartache and this it's just such a beautiful scene. And it's so well done and we get that beautiful moment of John staring out his window. And mm-hmm. it's like this moment of like peace yet he's really going through it. He's going through the thoughts. And we also have that gorgeous moment of Susan and John dancing mm-hmm. against the, the beautiful mural. Oh, my God. <gasps> There's this one frame where he's holding her and it looks so much like a photo of Jonathan with his real life girlfriend who inspired the role of Susan. Mm-hmm. You know, Lynn has such an eye for detail. I'm sure Things like that aren't just totally specific by mistake. You know what I mean? So there's these great details that really get you by the heart. And that that's one of them that got me. I think it's time to talk about oh, no. Green Green Dress. <gasps> and before okay. we get started about Green Green Dress, I just have to say 
we are doing this as respectfully as possible because <sighs> Andrew and Alexandra are absolutely <laughs> steamy in this. So um, please know all of this is done respectfully. But they're so, so steamy. Oh, it was my so God. hot. <sighs> okay, but it was so... It was so hot, but like so tasteful. Yeah, it was very tastefully like, it done. It was so well done. I didn't view it as like, um, like the song is pretty sexy, but I didn't. The view song the scene is as, sexy. Like, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, like I just thought it was more fun and playful than sexy, and I, I really liked that. I honestly think that's why it was so sexy because it was yeah, just fun was and just playful, fun. and it was two people, you know, just enjoying each other's company. I was just I. I love it. I love that it's pure fun. I love the choreography. <laughs> of course. I loved the bull moment, which reminded me of Strat and Raven in Bat Out of Hell when they <laughs> do the bull fight. What? I loved that change in that show. So when I saw that come up, I was like, oh my God, it's a bull moment. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was, I thought it was just so fun. And, you know, do I get why it was cut? Yes. Because we all would have yes. gotten instantly pregnant. Um, and they would have had to change the movie's <laughs> rating. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I do kind of get why it was cut. But also, like, I don't think it would have been the worst thing if they kept it in. I can kind of take it or leave it in the yeah. film proper. I'm just really happy it exists. See, I feel like... I feel like there's a lot of things that they could have cut instead, but they shouldn't have type of thing mm. because it all flows really well however um like i think of the end of no more and that's equally as fun and similar to green green dress where it's like really out there so i think like why not have kept that also yeah, again we're talking like john's inner fantasy world yes and romantic exactly. the way he romanticized his life versus what was really happening versus yeah. his dreams so i think it was just it's another great way you know, they could have left it in. It's like, what, another five minutes? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Even. It's like three minutes. Drop and the director's cut. I don't care if it's three days long. I will sit and I will watch it. The thing is, like, there's then not a very, um, we don't get a scene between John and Susan where they're like super lovey-dovey having fun together because even the rooftop scene is like, hey, there's this job I want. So it's like already the beginning of the end of them yeah it you know starts what I them mean on uncertain terms and I think it's yeah. kind of like it's more powerful if you see them in a moment where they're loving and Have enjoying each moment. other and then like yeah. okay like they're really in love but they're breaking up because it's just yeah. not working like it kind of sets that up a bit more yes. not that it needs the setup because obviously Andrew and Alexandra are they did so, so talented and you yeah. see that in their work but mm. you know I just really it would have been nice to have that fun green, green connection. Dress. I love that and they opening did it bass so line. Well. The boom boom boda boom boom boda. And can I talk about? I have to be very specific. I love in the film version. They added into the orchestration for that opening. It's the boom boom boda boom boom boda, and then over it you hear the do 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 do. Yes, I was like, oh god, which also ties in perfectly with uh, later when she sings come. Uh, from your <laughs> come to your senses <laughs> come from your senses <laughs> when she later sings come to your senses on in the exact same location on the roof on yep. the roof it worked 
it would have worked really well. It would have had that perfect contrast between, hey, the last time they were up here, things were really great between them. And now it's really rocky and confusing and sad. Yeah, it would have worked. It's a great contrast. Also, like, like I said, I could take it either way. But I do need to say that I kind of like it better being in the film because mm -hmm. otherwise we do have a lovely version by Josh Henry of Green Green Dress that's playing while they're being well, what they're working up to being intimate. But it's like <laughs> I'm, I always think during that scene, I'm like, are they really like did he because you see the tape recorder in the back. I think you see him press the button. So it's like, are they like making out to one of his demo tapes? Which like, I guess if right. you dated an artist, it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Girl run. I don't know. Girl run. Like, I don't know, because when it comes to Jonathan Larson, and we know he loved <clears throat> to play his music for people, I, I don't know if I'd put that past him based on what we know of him. And I think that makes it like all the more cute and silly and fun yeah see that's it's great <laughs> the three minutes of them dancing around and singing green green dress is more realistic to me than somebody yes. who's like you brought me in here to make out but you're playing your demo tape while we're making out i have to leave now we also get like really great shots of the apartment in that scene <laughs> and that like i love the apartment sorry i was like taking note of everything in there i was like oh my god it, there's more to the place it's great it's accurate um yeah no i just i think it should have stayed in there and i understand for the flow but then like i don't know i i wouldn't have lost like any other scene to keep it at the same time i don't know yeah anyway but, like you said extended version uh director's cut i would love because there's also a few aspects that I read about that were cut from the script and something about like there was a life cafe scene where Jonathan's writing in there and um, Daphne, Adam and Wilson are like waiters. Oh, I would have died for that, friends. I would have died for that. <laughs> yeah. So essentially the takeaway from this episode is, you know, if anybody like important enough to make it happen is listening we want mm. an extended director's cut and yes. we want like an actual jonathan larson biopic mini series mm. blah 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 mm. with andrew Please. garfield i mean before he's like too old he looks great he looks 25 he's always I gonna just, look great it's true Love but like man. i really think now is the time to do it and it's such an important story to tell it's so, so important. I don't know how it could be done in a way that's still respectful and tasteful of the tragedy that occurred, but I think the story is just so, it's one that needs to be told. And, you know, like, there's a lot that maybe people still don't know about Jonathan Larson. Like, he worked at the Moon Dance up until, like, four months, five months before he died. He literally was still working there up until his death, and yet he still couldn't afford to, like, go to a movie the week before he passed away. He was really still working so hard to get his art out there, and it finally went out there. There's, I think it's one of these stories that is just, like, this is something I would love to know. I'd love to know how many people, uh, before watching the film, knew 
he passed, he dies. Yeah. Can you imagine going to see Tick, Tick, Boom and not knowing oh that he God. dies? Can you imagine the emotional whiplash of that? I know. I never even the... thought about that because yeah. I was like getting ready to watch it. I was like, I know they don't necessarily, they're not, I didn't know they were going to do that little blurb at the end where they actually mentioned that he no, passes. No, same. But like, I went in knowing like I'm going to listen to 3090 and I'm going to be like, oh, like I the can't intro we going do. Into it. We learn at the intro right away, like uh, before we lost him. So, you know, something does happen. You know, I, I believe you would assume from that that he's going to die. I don't know. But if you didn't know that Jonathan Larson passes away yeah. and you watch Tick, Tick, Boom, if you actually had that experience, please mm. let us know because I'm, I'm very I'm genuinely curious. curious. I mean, I would have lost my shit. I lost my shit anyway, but you know. <laughs> no, I know because... For the hour, whatever hour and a half the film is, you're really like falling in love with this character who's just so genuinely good and kind. And then you're like, I want him to win. I yeah, want you're him to get what him. he deserves. He deserves to have his shows out there. And then at the end, all of a sudden, it's like, and then he died at the age of 35. Before the opening night of his show, before the first preview of his show. And then it's just like, boom, that it's dropped on you. And it doesn't go further than just that explanation. And it's like, what? What do you mean he dies? You know? And I think that's a great thing. I think they do that so well because the next line is something like, um, he still had so many questions. And then it, and leads, it leads into louder than words. Exactly. But it leaves the audience member with questions as well. Like, what do you mean he dies? That's all you're going to tell us? You know, because it leaves you with questions. It's something that he dies so suddenly, right? And so tragically, that itself is such a question. Like, why? Why? Why did this happen? How did this happen in a way that's like, oh, my God, he finished writing his show. And then we lose him before he gets to even see it and enjoy it and enjoy the reviews and enjoy the love and, and get his flowers, to quote Andrew Garfield. I'm very much just curious if someone like didn't know the story of how A, he, passes, he passed away and like B, what were your thoughts on that? What were your thoughts at the end of the film watching it and then we go... And learn, like, five years later, he dies. He's so scared the whole film to turn 30. And then you learn he passed away just five years later. Because that alone, even though I already knew, when you're watching it all set up like that, like, oh, my God, this guy is scared to turn 30. I feel that. I'm scared to turn 30, you know? And then it's like, shit. Shit, all this time that you're fearing this age this number it's for what because life is so short as it is that you don't know what tomorrow brings you know and I think that's what really got me watching this film was exactly that that he didn't know in five years he'd pass away he wouldn't get to see the results of his hard work you know Mm, yeah I'm passionate about this conversation because Age is scary. Growing up is scary. It really is. And if anything to take, I mean, there's so much to take away from Tick, Tick, Boom. There's so much to take away from Jonathan's work 
and his story. Um, but the one thing I really do take away is to live every day like it's yeah, your live last. live in the moment and uh, celebrate live in the, the beauty in the moment you're in, in the present moment. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's such a wonderful way to, to kind of wrap mm. up is to, you know, let that yeah. be your takeaway from, you know, John's legacy to, you know, live hard, love hard and celebrate the little things because, you know, just enjoy yeah. the present moment and trust that everything will happen the way it is going to happen. I think it was Matt O'Grady. I don't remember if it was our conversation specifically with Matt or if it was one of the documentaries, but he said like he was broke. He couldn't afford to pay his rent every month, but he was happy. Yeah. You know, he had this joie de vivre and yeah. that that was Matt who was talking about. It. He had this joie de vivre and it's something that, you know, I think really rings true in this film. I think that's something that they so captured his kind of zest and love for life. Yeah. Um, and love and, of his friends, you know, his community. Mm -hmm. There's so much. There's so much that we just in general can be doing to give back to our, our friends, our community, the people we love, the people who encourage us, uh, the people we admire, you know? Like he did with Sondheim and like Sondheim would do with Jonathan by giving him his respect and encouragement. We we just need to love each other more and be there. Yeah, no, that's that's again, that's kind of a great way to to end it. Lead with love and with watch love. Tick Tick Boom. Um. <laughs> Fear or love. Fear or love. Exactly that. Fear or love, baby. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> As always, um, I'm, Chris. I'm Jocelyn. <laughs> She's Chris. Uh, together we are breaking the curtain. <laughs> and uh, thank you for sitting through this episode with us. We've that had a was blast. fun. I like that. We should review more. Review. Barely review. This isn't um, reviewing. This, this is, is spewing. This is spewing. Oh, no. <laughs> um, like, not in a bad way, but not that's what it is. Not in a bad way I'll be honest. All. This is a gush. I don't care. We're just like love gushing everywhere. That sounds awful. That it's, doesn't yeah. sound like a good Please thing. delete yourself saying that. Um, anyway, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. We do have plans to speak about another wonderful Oscar-nominated movie mm -hmm. musical. Yes, we do. Uh, coming up very soon. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. And uh, we'll chat with you guys soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>